Welcome everyone. Thank you for joining us online again today. These are precious connecting moments in this crazy, somewhat surreal and disorientating world we all find ourselves in right now. And as we turn together to our Saviour and King Jesus Christ, he meets us. I'm so grateful for that. And praise the Lord, the Holy Spirit is not limited by geography or circumstance. And so my prayer for you right now is that you will encounter him wherever you are. And that leads to our series, which we're continuing today, called The God of Encounter. And throughout history, God has been breaking in and transforming the lives of people like you and me and catching them up into his wonderful plans and purposes. And as we read the pages of the Bible, we learn that we can step into fresh encounters with this holy, awesome, living God who has come close to us in Jesus Christ. And today we're going to look at one of the most magnificent encounters in the Bible. It's God's encounter with a man called Isaiah. Now, who was Isaiah, you might say? Well, although he was one of the greatest prophets in the Bible, we don't actually know that much about him. We know his dad was Amos. He lived around the 8th century BC in Judah, and he prophesied during the reigns of four kings, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. It seems he was married to a prophetess, and they had three children with very, very weird names. And Jewish tradition infers that he was probably born into an elite family, maybe even the royal family itself. And there's also a strong tradition that Isaiah was martyred in his later years. Actually, he was sawn in two. That's the rumor. But that's it. That's all we know. But what we do know is that he met with the Lord and it changed everything. So we're going to read how that happened from Isaiah chapter 6 and I'm going to read the first eight verses. So if you have your Bible and you'd like to read along, we're going to read that right now. Isaiah chapter 6 verses 1 to 8 and this is what we read. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, the whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I'm ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty." Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. 
Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. Wow, those kind of words are just so powerful. I don't know whether you remember those days when many of us would go into a church building to worship together. Do you remember that time? For some of us, that was just about eight weeks ago. I wonder what your expectation was when you went there. Who were you hoping to meet? Isaiah was going to the temple to worship. And I think he was as shocked as anybody when he went into the temple that of all people, he should meet the Lord. The Lord in all his glory. This just wasn't just singing about or talking about or praying to God. He saw the Lord. And it was a magnificent vision of the Lord in all his majesty. And in John's gospel, it tells us that what Isaiah saw was the Lord Jesus before he'd come to earth. It was very real. And it blew away Isaiah's perspective and it changed literally everything in his life. And Isaiah tells us that this was set in a very precise time. It was in the year that King Uzziah died. Now, you know, this isn't just a date. It's a statement that everything in that nation was now being shaken. King Uzziah had leprosy and had died in isolation as he was deemed unclean. As a result of that, the nation had started to abandon their trust in God. They were threatened by other nations who were looking to invade and capture this land of Judah. And you know, it was a fearful, uncertain time. And panic and distress were in the hearts of the people. I don't know how you feel right now. I know it feels that our nation, maybe even the whole world, is being shaken. Everything seems unclear. Yet, you know, when everything is being shaken around us, what we need is to be shaken by the greatness of God. And that's the first thing that we see in this encounter. That's what happened to Isaiah. God showed up in this testing, fearful, uncertain place. God breaks in and gives Isaiah a vision of his glory. The king was dead, but the true king lives and is on the throne. I saw the Lord high and lifted up, seated on his throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. You see, in the reality of life, Isaiah sees the ultimate reality. God is seated on the throne. He has it covered. This hasn't caught him by surprise. He's not fretting about what to do. 
And God gives him an amazing glimpse of his greatness. He shows that God is in this. He's on this. He's over this. And do you know what? That's exactly the same God that we have on the throne today. You see, his greatness is his glory. And you know, glory is a powerful word, but one that is really difficult to describe and do justice to when we talk about God. The Hebrew word from which it comes has the meaning of weight or substance. And you see, God in his glory is the most weighty, substantial reality that we can ever know. He's more real than anything else. And by comparison, everything else is lightweight. Everything else is fleeting and temporary. But God's glory fills everything. He's the one who fills all things with his magnificent presence. It says the train of his robe filled the temple. Isaiah was just captivated by this, this thing, this train, but actually it was a picture of God. God was filling everything. He's here. He's in the midst of it. And he's bigger than everything you're walking through and facing. You know, when you drop something heavier than water into water, it causes the water to be displaced and sent flying from that weight that falls into it. And we understand the science behind that, don't we? But you know, when the weight of God's glory comes into our life, it displaces everything that is less than him and brings us back into alignment with what is true and right and good. When we see God in his glory, when we see who he is, we get perspective. And you know what? God wants to meet you now in his glory. He wants to be more than just a concept, more than thoughts in your head. Look, it's good to think about God. It's good to have imaginations about that and, and, and questions and all that sort of stuff. But he wants to move your heart with a life-altering encounter of his presence and goodness. And as he does that, he wants to displace your fear, your doubts, the pressure squeezing you like a vice. And I know many of you feel like that right now. Even your needs, he wants to displace with the ultimate reality of himself, holding your life and giving you strength and purpose. That's amazing, isn't it? That's the God who breaks in. And what's our first response to him when this happens? Well, actually, it's worship. There's some other responses that we're going to come to in a moment, but the first thing is worship. And, and we've got in verse 2, these very strange creatures, angelic beings, these seraphs. Literally, they're, they're called the fiery ones. And we don't know whether they're fiery because they're in the presence of God and it's almost like his fire that's upon them or whether that's just who they are, but they minister to the Lord. And you know what? They're consumed with praise for God. And although they're pure, 
Even they cannot look at the glory of God. And, you know, they cover their faces and they cover their feet and, and they're flying. Well, wow, some amazing special powers there, aren't there? But they serve the Lord day and night and they sing of the beauty of his holiness. Holy, holy, holy. And do you know what? They don't do this for what they can get out of God. They do this for what they can give. They are consumed with the beauty of the Lord. And what they teach us is this. They teach us that reverent, abandoned praise is the appropriate response of all who would serve the Lord. That's our highest calling. We were made for the praise of his glory. And I just want to encourage you, wherever you are, you might be kind of tuning in for the first time, but I want to tell you that the most important thing that you can ever do is to worship the Lord and not just to worship him for what you can get out of him, but to worship him because he's beautiful, because he's awesome, because he's great. You see, when you see the greatness of the Lord, then it just overflows in your heart with thanksgiving and praise. And I want to encourage you that even this week, you will take this great passage or passages like it and just, just let it fill you with the glory of God. But you know, that leads us to a second response. And that is, we get to acknowledge our sin and weakness. And, and this, is, this is the most uncomfortable bit. Actually, Isaiah kind of had no choice about that. And, and there are times when we, we just meet with God and we just know in that moment, we don't have a choice about it. We just know who we are. And he was brought face to face with what was truly in him. You see, in the presence of our God, who is supremely holy, not just holy, but holy, 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 Isaiah is completely undone. He says, woe to me. Whoa, I'm just completely ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. You see, in that moment, he is confronted with his sin and the sin of the people all around him. And he's also confronted with his absolute inability to change anything. He's humbled. He's brought low. You know, I've met many people who say things like this. When I meet God, or if I get the chance to meet God, I have a few things I want to say to him. There are a few things that I want to discuss, a few bones I want to pick. <sighs> Let me tell you that when you meet him, you'll have no words to say. Because like Isaiah, you will know that you're in the presence of the Holy One. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you were truly humbled in the presence of God? You see, we can only truly know who we are when we look at Jesus. That's why we gaze on him. You see, we're so easily deceived about ourselves. It's only as we get a glimpse of God in his greatness that we also begin to see ourselves as we truly are. 
And some of you might say, well, why does God need to make us feel bad about ourselves to, to kind of get this sorted? No, 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 listen. It's not about making us feel bad about ourselves in that sense. It's facing us with the reality of who we are so we can truly become who we were meant to be. God wants us to be changed from the inside out. It's not just about what we can do for him. It's about who we become. And he wants to change us at the very core. God wants to change our hearts. And he wants to deal with all that stuff that lies within that is offensive to him. Our failings, our sin, our fears, our wickedness, our vulnerabilities. And, you know, we've all got that stuff. We, we know it. We live with it. And he comes and reveals his greatness to us so that we can be set free and we can know who we truly are. One of the prayers that we need to pray, I think, fairly frequently is this. It's one of the Psalms. Psalm 139 says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I just want to encourage you, let God change you. Face up to the stuff. Don't, don't hide from him. Don't run away from it. As uncomfortable as it seems, stand in the light. But, you know, that leads us straight away into the thing that happens in an instant as we do that. And that is that we get to grasp hold of God's magnificent grace. You see, in that place of acknowledging our weakness, we do find that he's a God who's got so much love and grace towards us. As soon as Isaiah cries out and confesses the reality of his sin, God explodes into his life. And one of the seraphs takes a coal from the altar, the place of sacrifice for sin, takes it from there and he touches Isaiah's lips. And I'm sure at this point, Isaiah thinks, I'm toast. I am toast. I am gone. Because you see, when fire comes towards you, usually in the Old Testament, it's a sign of judgment. But here it is cleansing and it's restoration. And the seraph then declares, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. And you see, in this moment, Isaiah, wow, he's declared clean. And you know, the altar here anticipates the ultimate altar that actually doesn't really look like an altar at all because it's a, it's a wooden cross. But on that cross, a sacrifice was made by Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and it paid the bill, it atoned for our sin, and it's like that burning coal that comes from the altar that when we come and confess to him, it touches our lips, it touches our being, and we know forgiveness, and we know freedom. And you know, some of you right now are desperate to know that. Absolutely desperate for that cleansing and for that stuff that you've got within you just to be taken away. And it can. And you see the altar of the cross and the flaming coal of Jesus's blood and righteousness is the place where Jesus takes us as broken pieces 
and makes us into masterpieces. It's the place where he takes those who are vulnerable and shows them that they are valuable. And he loves to touch lives with this eternal sacrifice and speak freedom over everyone who comes. And I just want to say to you right now, it's here for you. Wherever you are, whatever you're walking through, whatever you've done, whatever circumstances are squeezing in, there's grace for you. Grace for you to be clean again. Grace for you to be free again. Grace for you to see that God's bigger than that. And you're valuable to him and you're his masterpiece in his hands. What are you waiting for? Grab it right now. Oh, some of you just need to grab it. It's there right now. Take it. And that leads into my final point today. That when we have seen the greatness of God and you grasp that he's bigger than everything, he's weightier than everything, he's more substantial and real than everything, and that his great plan is to fill the whole earth with the knowledge of his glory. You want to give yourself to be part of that. Where once you wanted God to be available to you, and you know there's many people that you know use him a little bit like that. Lord, I want you to be available to me. I'm in need now. Come on, turn up, do, you, do your stuff. No, no, no. You suddenly see him differently. You say, Lord, whatever, I want to be available to you. And what I love about this commissioning, this calling of Isaiah by the Lord is that he allows Isaiah the, the dignity of response. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. And do you know what? At this point, he didn't even know the job description. And we didn't get a chance to read it today, but it's pretty miserable. I tell you, it's not a job description you would like. But it didn't matter because he'd seen the Lord. He's worth it. I get to do this for his beauty. I get to do this for his glory. And whatever it is, I'm in, Lord, because I've seen you and I've been ruined for anything else. And you know, I just want to say to you, there's some of you right now, you just need to put it all down. And you say, I'm here for you. Because the Lord is still saying, who shall I send and who will go for us? And he's wanting that reply from your heart. Here I am, send me. And if you get to see that, then you can no longer see your home and your neighborhood just as the place where you live. It's now a mission field to make known God's glory. You cannot see your job or what you get to do in life as just a means of earning a living or paying the bills or, or, or if you like, doing the time of life. It now becomes a place to live and work for the glory of God transforming the atmosphere for good and bringing the kingdom of God with you. Because you see, his glory is now upon you and you get to bring that into the very places that you are. And neither can you just be part of a church as some form of spiritual pick-me-up, doing a bit of good every now and again just to help out because it's the right thing to do. Oh gosh, deliver us from that. No, no. This now becomes the community of God's people to change the town, to plant churches in the nation and the nations. 
It's about filling the whole earth with the knowledge of the glory of God. And you know what, church? That voice from heaven still says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? What about you? Are you going to say, here I am, send me, whatever? You know, it's not about geography when we say I'm going, although I'm sure God will send numbers of us into many different places in different ways. No, it's about our heart attitude. It's about going where you are and being available to God in everything that he says. In 1913, the great British explorer, Ernest Shackleton, put an advert in the newspapers to recruit men for his trans-Antarctic expedition. It was a trip to walk 1,800 miles across Antarctica via the South Pole. It's the most hostile place on earth. And this is what it said in the paper. Men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, doubtful, honour and recognition in case of success. <laughs> Not exactly an invitation to a life of comfort and luxury, but you know what? Thousands applied just to walk across the most uninhabitable place on the earth. We have the privilege of being invited to go for the glory of God. What are you waiting for? Whoever you are, whatever age, some of you are thinking, what have I, what have I got to do right now? How can I go? Well, you know, even if you can't go out, you, you, can, you can pray. You can get on the phone and speak to someone. You can Zoom somebody or equivalents. You, you can with your family, bring them up to know the Lord. You see, this is about going where you are, know, knowing that you've been transformed by the glory of God. I want to invite us now, wherever we are, just to stand. And we're going to respond because I know that God wants to break in. Let's just have that moment. And you know, the first thing, I know some of you need right now is to know that he's reigning and ruling. Some of you are fearful. Some of you are shaken. Let God shake you with his greatness right now. He's on the throne. Let his weight and substance displace all the other stuff and let his peace and his power through the Holy Spirit rest on you. For some of you right now, you need to know that you are a sinful person that needs grace to be made clean. We all have to get there. You need to be humbled in his presence and just invite you right now to reach out and say, Lord, woe to me, I am ruined. But thank you right now for the grace of God. Thank you for that coal that comes to my lips from the cross and saves me. And, and for some of you, I just want to invite you right now, maybe to get on your knees before God. And the Lord says, he will go, whom shall I send? And this is an invitation for you to say, 
Here I am. Send me. Lord, will you take us now and use us for your glory? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Lord bless you.